David. Hello, hello. Welcome back. Are your headphones all set up and everything? Oh, yeah, man. Good to go. Round two. But, you know, the sequels are never as good as the originals. So I hope this works out. I don't think so, man. I think that, uh, I think we just, in the first one, was, I, I really enjoyed it, but I think that we we're just starting to brush, like, the surface of everything. Because on this one, I'm, I'm interested. I want to, like, get more into, like, uh, how you built your business and like how it felt to even be a part of um that company with your friend where you made you know you guys didn't you say you sold over a million or a multi-million dollar business uh i didn't sell it but uh, when i left he was doing very well you know like seven digits eight digits probably gotcha Hold on. Se- seven digits is what a million i thought it's six you got six. oh no, no seven. You're right. Yeah, seven. So yeah, he was eight. He was you know he was over ten. Were you a big part of that company? Yeah, I mean I was basically like employee number three. Yeah, still that's huge, bro. I mean not a lot of people have been there or seen that. And it, you know, when I was sitting there thinking about our conversation, I was like, he freaking mentioned being a part of a multi-million dollar company, pretty high up, and I didn't even dive into that. I should have. Yeah, we definitely can. You know, it wasn't just me, you know, it's like, yeah. Right. Everybody, obviously. How often is it just one person, though? You know what I mean? That Almost you, never. Unless you're running like an FTX scam or something, you know? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say FTX or uh, or Bitcoin or something crazy, you know? How did, did you, did you picture it getting that big when you like first started with him? Or was it just like a process that like kind of grew and you're, were you ever at like the point where you're like, holy shit. No, it was it was pretty organic. I mean, it was just kind of going, and you know, I didn't really pay attention to the numbers because it's not, you know, it's, it's not my numbers. But uh, uh, as you grow and you add more people and you add more responsibility, and you sort of just see it kind of blossom, you know. Yeah. <clears throat> like, uh, what what part did you play in that business primarily? So started in kind of account management, basic sales, you know, taking leads and sort of selling them the product. And then as um, we started building it up higher, um, you know, build out the product lines, um, figure out the marketing for that, um, hired salespeople. So involved in the hiring process, then kind of team lead, then a manager, and then um, stepped into kind of high-level sales as business development, and then so, like par- partnerships and stuff, and you know, sort of everything from sort of soup to nuts. You you're all over it. I mean, that's yeah, like just, a, yeah, I think yeah, that's basically. huge. Yep, yeah, just building it sort of at every level. That must have been like a huge learning process. Oh yeah, I mean, like first day in the job, we were like, all right, where do we start? We basically went to like Barnes and Nobles on uh, on our lunch hour, bought a bunch of books on selling and marketing and kind of started like, all right, you go home and read this book and I go home, read that book and let's talk tomorrow and figure out where we go from here. I'm, I'm glad you, um, I'm glad you're like brushing up on this. Cause another question I had for you, I want to, I want to like talk about how it all grew and I want to like hear about some of the cool stories and milestones you hit, but like, finding a partner is very hard and i was actually wondering how you find like a good partner between him finding you and then you finding your business partner now 
Yeah, yeah, that, that's a great question. Um, you know, partners are interesting because it, it's uh, easier when you're not alone, especially when you have somebody competent next to you, um, especially if you have complementary skills. Because if two people are doing the same thing, you're kind of stepping on each other's toes. Um, okay. And for me, uh, in my job, when I was working for somebody else, we kind of started from scratch. So we didn't really have complementary skills per se, but we had similar mindsets. So we were able to kind of differentiate who's doing what and who's concentrating on what, you know? Okay. Uh, in my business, you know, my partner has like a finance background and, you know, I, I don't like numbers. I'm more of a creative guy and he's more like pragmatic and kind of structured. So it worked out that I'm on the product side and production side, and he's kind of on the finance and sort of sales sales development side. So it actually works out pretty well. Did you seek him out or did was it just another person you knew and just figured, hey, this guy might be worth, you know, starting no. something with? Yeah, actually ra- randomly met. Um, he wasn't anybody I knew before. Um, just kind of ran across um, this person and started talking and I'm like, here's what I'm doing. And here's he's like, here's sort of my skill set. And I'm like, we should basically partner up and, you know, find a way to grow it together. And essentially that same year that we partnered up, we basically doubled the business because it was just, wow. again, two, two, two people with competent skills um, running sort of the company from two different sides. In my experience, I've had a really hard time finding that. Um, I've had a few businesses myself. I've start. I've tried to start businesses with friends, which a lot of times is a big no-no. Yeah, that's a bad idea generally. Yeah, no, no, those ones didn't really work out. And luckily, we all all those friends involved for the most part. We kind of like terminated the business before it got you know while the friendship was still salvageable. Yep. And yep. But I've also had other people like uh, my recent business was the car detailing business. And at first I enjoyed being by myself and then I I tried to scale it all by myself and it was like really tough. And then, and again, this is my experience, but then like, you know, eventually I met some other detailers and I would reach out to them and be like, Hey, let's, let's put two heads together, you know, have like meetings together, combine combine and build off of that off of you know because one person can't run the whole business and um that was even tough to you know find a partner or another person who's obviously going in the same direction with the same business obviously Mm -hmm. wants to grow and make more money but just couldn't get two people to go in the same direction or commit you know yeah it's definitely it's definitely tough um Running it with friends, I think, is a bad idea because, you know, familiarity breeds contempt to some degree. So, you know, if you, if you have somebody you know, um, at best, it works out kind of as a, as a standard baseline. But at worst, you essentially um, end up hating each other because somebody always feels like they're doing, you know, more of a job and like they're above the other part. I mean, it's weird. Like running it with yeah. friends, I think is a bad idea. Running it, running it with family is a different story. You know, there's plenty of businesses that work well when like the entire family uh, is doing it. But I think unless you're Italian and running a restaurant, running it with family is also difficult. <laughs> That's funny. I'm, yeah. yeah I'm, 
I'm in a situation right now where the owners of the place I'm working at, they're both, I think they were best friends or they were good friends mm-hmm. and they started a business, but it's funny cause they're like completely opposite individuals. Like one is very like stern, straight to the point, like yep. serious professional. And the other guy is like very techie, yep. goofy, likes to get the job done and likes to work hard. But he's like, he, you know, he likes to crack jokes along the way. And somehow their relationship works fine. Yeah, and and, and I think you need that. I think I think you basically need two people who are different in their temperament and their interest. Because, you know, I think I told you about the book uh, Traction uh, by Jim right. So that book is kind of an operating system for how to run a business. And like, this isn't the only book on how to do it, but it, it's a pretty good guideline. And in that book, he basically talks about kind of the people component. And, you know, if you have two partners in the business. Um, generally, one becomes kind of the visionary and the other one becomes the integrator. So the visionary is like the person that's in charge of like creative problem solving, um, research and development, you know, culture, like ideas. And then the other one basically takes all that and actually makes it operational. So, you know, they like, they manage, they have accountability, they do, you know, profit and loss. They do like all those things that are kind of very down to earth rather than up in the sky, you know? That makes sense. Yep. So that, that's basically what we have. So it's like my partner essentially is the integrator and, you know, he's the CEO and I'm the visionary. I'm the CPO. Mm. So what would you like, what advice would you give? And I'm kind of asking for a friend, if you get what I'm mm-hmm. saying. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> what yeah, advice yeah. would you give, give someone who wanted to start a business or looking to start a business one day, but, you know, obviously would probably need a partner. Yep. Yep. Um, How would you go about finding one or pitching or pitching your vision or your dream to somebody else and getting on the same page? Yeah, definitely. I I think there are sites out there that kind of do partner matching. It's sort of like a dating site for, you know, business partners. Somebody comes in with an idea and then you can kind of quote unquote date people. Do they they sell foot pics and stuff? Huh? (laughs) Do they sell foot pictures on there? Yeah, seriously. They probably <laughs> do use used underwear. <laughs> but uh, it, yeah, it's, it's kind of like um, a partner dating. You know, that's one way to do it. The other, the other way to do it is, you know, maybe think of um, who is in and slightly outside of your immediate circle that could potentially be a good match. Okay. And, you know, try to approach them and be like, look, this is what I'm trying to start. And um, you know, I'm looking for somebody who's interested, but um, I want to make sure they're on the same page as far as commitment goes. Maybe you both put the money in together, so so it's pretty even. And then you sort of quote unquote again date until you get married, and then you basically run it together. Dude, it kind of is like a. It's kind of funny you put it that way because it does kind of sound like a uh, dating slash marriage thing. Oh yeah, I've I've heard it multiple times from multiple people. Like then, but, then you got to buy each other out, then you got to part with Yeah. Them. Yeah, no, hopefully no divorce party. <laughs> Cuz those right? tend to get yeah, ho- th- those tend to get super expensive. Um so and I'm just speculating, but a lot of that time with the business with your friend probably greatly helped you when it when you came time to like hey i'm going to start something myself and do it myself i'm sure that that helped you gain confidence and traction in your own way or yep yep 
Yeah, it's it's pretty much everything I know now. I kind of learned on the job doing it there for for, for um, that business. You know, it's a different product and it's a different industry, but the challenges are very similar. And I think the challenges are very similar across all businesses. You know, because the the roadmap um, is pretty stable. Uh, again, unless there might be some weird business industry out there that that's different. You know, like NFTs and shit, but Typically, if you're running your standard sort of grounded um, traditional industry business, um, it, it's, it's a similar roadmap to something else. What, um, I kind of wanted to get into your roadmap. I, I remember uh, our last conversation kind of got cut off because my phone died and we were hitting about the hour mark on that one anyway. Mm-hmm. But you started getting into like more detail about um, like how you scaled, how you started. Like you said, you at first you made like little clear plastic tubes and then you started, you know, um, making them to where you could. They're like displays, but they're also shipping material. And then you started carrying all these different products one at a time yep. and you kept investing. Um, <clears throat> was that a part of the dream from the beginning or is that something that you like just saw opportunity and just took it as you're growing. Yeah, you, you definitely take an opportunity and kind of run with it. It's like, I think I told you that uh, starting and doing something is better than doing nothing because while you're doing something, even if it's wrong, you'll you'll see opportunities come through the door that, you know, potentially you might pivot or add to your product line. And, and you know, that could become a larger business than the original idea. So it's like same thing happened for us, you know. Initially, um, the the goal was to kind of carve out a niche um, in that space of packaging where we were making very specialized packaging for people who couldn't get it anywhere else because of high minimums and high costs and like long lead times and stuff. So we basically pre-made um, kind of blank paper tubes and we're selling paper tubes, not plastic. Um, oh, okay. so we, yeah, yeah, but it, you know neither here nor there. It's basically um, uh, brought them into the warehouse. Uh, they were blank and variety of sizes. And uh, I was like, well, what kind of customers might buy these? You know, maybe people that package coffee, maybe people that package like t-shirts, maybe people that package like candles and they want to put it into something other than a box because that industry is pretty saturated with square packaging. And we're like, well, you know, tubes around, so it's different. So it might actually help you stand out and sell more products. So let's bring them in and let's sell them in small quantities. And you can buy one and or you can buy 20 or you can buy a thousand. And, you know, as we started doing that, people were like, how oh, do you print on them? Can I put my logo on it? Can I do, you know, can I do foil stamping? Can I make it like any size, any color? And we're like, yeah, why not? Started <laughs> making custom packaging. So what is the process for that? Like, if you're not set up for that stuff already... What did you do to prepare for that? Like prepare for like the custom logos and stuff. Did you have to go buy a printer? Did, you know, what's the process or did you have to find another third party? Yeah. So in, initially what I did was use my, um, at my job where I was working, we had a laser engraver um, that we used to engrave flash drives with. And I tested it with the tubes and I could basically use that engraver to like engrave a logo into the top of the tube. So it like takes off the top layer and it looks, you know, like burnt, so it's kind of burnt in, you know, like your traditional sort of burnt into leather look. Okay. 
and uh, I cut out a um, clear acrylic mold that I bought at like Ace Hardware, and I would fit these caps of the tubes into, and then load the logo in, and that thing would like engrave the logo into all of those tubes. So I could do them like three or five at a time, depending on the size. And it would take like, you know, 10 minutes, 20 minutes. Um, and I would, you know, sit there until they were all engraved. And I'd come to the office after uh, the office hours. And I'm like, I told my boss, I'm like, look, man, can I just like use your engraver to do this shit? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. Not a problem. So I like come in at night, basically engrave those tubes and ship them out of his warehouse. And that was like step one. And then people are something more than the logo. And then, so that required like a bigger operation, you know, finding vendors, finding uh, partners, you know, going to China, doing some sourcing, you know, doing some testing and kind of setting all that up. That, so that's where uh, your creative side came in, I believe. Correct. That Correct. sounds like where the, the creativity and the clouds idea kicks in, which is, that's the stuff I like if and when I start something else up, that's the side that I like. So it's really cool hearing you talk about how, you know, finding complimentary, you know, the guy who likes to sit at the desk and crunch numbers and do Excel spreadsheets and, you know, <clears throat> figure out business strategy. And then the guy who figures out how to get the strategy done, that's like a really, that sounds like a real fun part of the job actually. Yeah, man, you need both. You definitely need both. Um, right. Cause you, you got to make sure you're profitable while, while you're doing it. But on the other hand, you basically have to have hands-on abilities to kind of run with it. And it's like, you know, you sort of roll up your sleeves and down and dirty and figure out how the shit's made and then how to make it better. And yeah, and, and you go from a night of busting your ass just trying to get these like custom tube tops done to like, you know. Now you're at the point where you've got so many products and I'm sure your systems have gotten a little bit more crispy right? Like, I, I'm guessing you don't still do them that way, do you? Well, yeah, we, we don't engrave anymore. That, that's a little crazy. <laughs> um, but uh, we do manufacture from scratch. So like, we've basically, we've gone from that to finding a factory in China, you know, went to China, toured a bunch of factories, found a decent one, you know, by local standards. And it was still kind of a shack at the time. Because that industry, there's only like, you know, three factories in the entire China that made two packaging because that it was like so fringe that it wasn't like a mass market thing that anybody did. Um, so, you know, had some dinners, got together, promised some business and basically started sending orders like, you know, we'll sell, we'll sell an order, send it to the factory. Um, they'd send us pictures. Some shit would arrive at the door. You know, some of it would be wrong. Some of it would be good. And then like through trial and error, we've figured out, all right, what's our QC process to make sure, you know, we don't ship garbage to our customers. Yeah. What, How the, yeah. What, 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 what does that QC look like, you know, practically? Like what kind of problems arise? Where do those problems stem from? Which part of production you're going to see a certain problem? How do you improve it? And then you basically start creating, you know, like an operating procedure from a production perspective. Okay. Yeah. How how the fuck do you know that you're going to be able to, uh, how do I put this? How the fuck do you know that you're going to be able to profitably afford flying to China, finding a factory, setting up a business deal with them, 
and coming back and you're going to be able to keep the quantity orders that you need and also that you're going to be able to grow enough at the same time to cover these orders oh you don't man you just do it sort of so you're saying you... at dinner with these guys bullshitting <laughs> yeah i mean like look to some degree you kind of have to sort of fake it till you make it right right i get it but also you know these guys are um they would help you ultimately fund the idea because it's like they want the business um and the key is in the sales not in the making like i'll figure out how to make something being able to sell it is like where the where the magic lies i think um... i think i think in general like when you think about it making stuff is generally easy yeah like you'll have challenges regarding and regardless on like you know what the product is or what the idea is like you can kind of figure out how to make it you can probably find a way to make it fairly decently but like being able to sell it and being able to find customers for it and being able to like frame what you're doing so that those customers are um you know that, that it's resonating with them and that it's appealing like that's where the magic is it's all in the sales, not in the making. Yeah, I remember you said that on the last one too. Yeah. So you're consistent. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true, man. That's like that's that's the key. It's like anything can be made. You ha- it, it has to be sold. It has to be for somebody. And it can that, be like it, it can be a very small sliver. Like it doesn't have to be a huge, you know, population of people that your product is made for. In fact, it's the opposite. You have to find like the smallest slice of underserved customers who are out there having trouble finding what it is that you're selling. And then basically like find the, the, the cheapest and most efficient way to get in front of them. That's the that's, magic. That's such a cool mindset, dude, because and like, you know, you're saying it confidently enough. I'm sure that was a little bit of trial and error. And then also a little bit of like, you know, you're selling books and stuff. Um, like I've made like Etsy stores and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Etsy is great, dude. Etsy is a great way to test shit. I love, yeah, and I love Etsy because they want to help. It's kind of a cool idea because you're almost like a partner with Etsy. They want to help you sell shit because they make money off of you selling shit. Yep. So it's kind of like you both want to help each other. So they give you all the tools. That, you know, they've got an optimized website and all that kind of stuff, but. Um, one thing I learned down that path was, um, kind of like what you said, you you got to, um, man, I'm having trouble finding my words tonight. (laughs) You, you set up the store and you got to get your keywords right. You, but it's also about niching down. Yep. So it's like, not only do you have to find the keywords that pop up, but you also got to find the keywords that are like. Instead of a thousand people searching, like let's just say, like, yeah, bu- business canvases, yeah, Sh- short head and long tail, exactly. Yes, that's the term. Okay, that yeah, that's what L- I long, long tail keywords. I was trying to throw that out there and sound smart, but I just couldn't. I just couldn't. No, no, it's true. It. That, that but, that's an official term. Yeah, and yeah. So for the people listening, like, like there's a a trick to it. You don't want to just. You might put like a keyword as business poster. And you might have a million people looking up business poster, but you're also popping up with millions and millions of other business posters. So the amount of people that actually commit to buying it is low. But if you put like business poster, 
you know, game room, yep, bl- black modern, yep. Then you're gonna get the people who know what they're looking for, and you pop up, and you get way more sales and a very higher high ratio of search to, to sales Con- and- conversions. Correctly, so that's exactly right. So basically, the way to think about it is, short head is like you dropping a bunch of money in a funnel and hopefully some shit comes out from the bottom. But it's very general. So it's like if you're talking about paper tubes, for example, it's like I can advertise the term paper tubes, but it's it's very expensive because there's a lot of people bidding on that term and it's very general. So I might get people who are like, they might be buying you know, paper tubes as packaging, but there might be some people who are just looking for mailer tubes. Or there might be some moms who are looking for like toilet paper rolls that are also tubes for like crafts and shit, which are not my customers, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the short head. And then the long tail is like I can advertise, you know, paper tubes for cosmetic bottles. So there'll be way less people who search for that, but those that do might come and they'll be right. cheaper to and they'll be cheaper to get to. And then you have to find enough of these long tail keywords so that you're basically hitting up people that are very specific who are looking for like specific applications. How long did it take you to find your like um, long tail keywords and all that kind of stuff to kind of get to your market? Oh, a while. I, would, I, I was actually fortunate enough to found, find a guy who, uh, who's like a CEO or a, a SEO expert. And we work with him to this day. He was basically, he remembers me like, running the business from my living room at a desk. And now he's like, oh my God, you have like 20 people over there. And it's the same guy we still work with. So he, he's still optimizing our keywords. Fuck, man, you found some solid people. Yeah, happy <laughs> to make a referral. He's a good guy. Yeah, he, um, SEO is such a bitch too because it's like the ever-changing magic too. Yeah, well, this is not SEO. This is PPC. So this is pay-per-click. So SEO... Oh. Yeah, SEO is a completely different beast, man. SEO is like optimizing your site so that it comes up organically. Right. PPC is like the science of bidding on short head and long tail keywords. Like it's a completely different fucking game. Okay. Yeah. I guess I tied the two together just because my experience is is mostly through like Shopify and Etsy and stuff like that. Yep. So they're probably doing the SEO for you. Yeah, you need part. both. You, you, yeah, SEO kind of happens organically. And, you know, we, we try to do SEO. And again, SEO is like, you never fucking know. You know, it's like the imagery and the copy uh, on the page or site has to match like the shit you're selling. And hopefully Google uh, robots index it in such a way that you come up semi-high I guess compared to like your competition, but PPC is like that. That's the that's the game. It, it's finding how to spend your budget most effectively to bring in the right people. And I think you just gave anyone who's listening like a pretty good key of advice right there. Like anyone who's starting up a website or a business to, because I think ninety percent of the people I talk to about business and you know having an online presence, they're always talking about SEO. I don't think a lot of people understand either there's a difference or that pay-per-click is, you know, probably a better way to go. Yeah. And again, that's, that's just a couple of ways to get people through the door. I mean, we also do trade shows. 
Um, you can also find like um, online websites that are industry specific. Um, you know, for us, it's like packaging design websites and stuff. So you can drop banners on the site and hope people come through the door there. You can kind of do strategic partnerships on things where you get leads from, um, like I said, trade shows is another one. We do like four trade shows a year with different industries. So there's like a bunch of ways to get people in. And it's, uh, would you say that's all about keeping the snowball running? Yeah. And you, you know, can't miss that, a trade show or you can't miss an opportunity to show your face and your product. Yeah. It depends on your budgets. You know, some, sometimes we miss them. It's just like, we're not hitting our budget. So we're, we're going to miss this trade show. Um, you know, sometimes like you basically do something you save somewhere else and you're like, we got to be at this trade show regardless, no matter what, you know, and then once you get the customers in, or at least you get your first customers in and you start selling to them, there's a whole other component of customer retention. Like, how do you make sure they come back to you? Like, is your product sticky? Do they like you? You know, reviews, you know, things like that. Follow-up. Promotions. Um, drip, drip campaigns. It's like okay. a whole other thing, you know. Well, so explain like a drip campaign. Because so, that's an interesting tactic. Yeah, so drip campaigns are kind of um, uh, serious. It's, it's a series of uh, emails um, that um, you, it's like a mailing list where you put people into. And it's a series of emails that are thought out to um, drip them things over time. So for example, one of our drip campaigns is, uh, and we have a, a variety. So we have a drip campaign for like new customers um, or new leads who never bought anything, then we have repeat customer drip campaign. There's like, it's called a reorder drip. So whenever somebody buys something and then after the order is delivered, we start sending them emails like, hey, you know, have you sold out yet? Um, here's the lead times, you know, a variety of, you know, messaging. And then for like new customers, for example, if they if they come in, but they never buy anything, you know, we send them like, Here's case studies of people in a similar industry um, that are doing great. You know, here's like examples of customers just like you who are using our tubes and, you know, selling millions of products. And then there's like, here's a new feature we can do. We can now do foil stamping. Have you thought about adding a window to your tube so you can see your product inside? And it's like, it's a basically a, a, a variety of these emails that, drip every or email uh, look at the customers every week you know bi-weekly monthly you know annually depending on kind of how you set it up yeah and i don't know i i don't know if you've ever heard this or if this is was just somebody's strategy but heard the magic number is like seven yeah like, that's right it, it it is a a number i've heard i think it's seven is the number of impressions you have to make before your customer remembers who you are. Okay. I was yeah, hoping it, it comes from marketing. It's like you have right. to be seen seven times in order for them to recognize you or something along those lines. That's why like, if you ever wonder why, like why like companies like Coca-Cola or McDonald's or, you know, they stick their logo and their name all over the place. Or like, you know, you're watching a hockey game and you got like Dasani popping up on the, the boards around the thing it's it's just to keep that brand recognition in at least seven different spots you know what i mean yep top of mind 
top of mind and it creates like a, a trust like a uh, there's a mental like trust like comfort level that i guess psychologically you get after seeing a, a brand or a, a you know a company so many times you start psychologically processing like a comfort in it like it's not anything new there's just like a you know it just helps you build trust i don't know there, there's like a whole psychology behind it all it's kind of a interesting yeah it's pretty crazy I, th- I think they've actually done studies where where they figured out that it's not even the message it's the mental cue about the company it's like it doesn't matter what they even say just the fact that they appear makes you kind of want the product or recognize it i think there's a book i forgot the name of it where they put people into uh, fmri machines and they measured their brain activity uh, as they were showing them different messaging so one of those things uh, was um, they were doing they were showing anti-smoking ads to people you know like the truth and all of those you know the those yeah, types of ads it's like stop smoking basically and they were noticing that the parts of the brain that line light up in the MRI machines were the ones associated with actually wanting to smoke rather than wanting to quit. <laughs> it was fucking crazy, dude. That's insane. And then I, I've also heard that like uh, the tobacco industry also owns that like truth company or whatever it was. Oh, do they? I didn't know I, that. I thought they, I thought mm-hmm. I've heard a rumor that they fund, they actually fund the anti-smoking campaigns. And yeah, inter- that, interesting. That would absolutely make sense. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure those campaigns haven't done much in terms of um, people quitting smoking. I think what actually helped is creating an inconvenience for people to smoke by banning it in restaurants and indoors. As soon as uh, they started doing that, I, you know, because people generally are uh, creatures of habit. So it's like, as soon as you make something inconvenient and you put some friction that's a bigger deterrent than the actual campaign of stopping to smoke. Yeah, once it's like just like one extra step or yep, yep. get to step aside. Dude, that's yep. like uh, that's funny because I, I wonder how many people listening are like even remember being able to smoke in a restaurant. Like, I remember when you used to go to a restaurant and people could sit there at the table and smoke while you're inside or even better yet, on airplanes. Oh, hell yeah. I don't remember airplanes, but I remember restaurants. They're like, hey, can you bring me an ashtray? And then you just, like, eat and smoke. And then they made a smoking and non-smoking section. Yeah, that's a little crazy. Right? And then now they've got, like, uh, uh, now, now you can't smoke inside. And, yeah, you don't really see it very much anymore. Sometimes vaping, but... Yeah, unless it's a casino. Casinos are still okay. Oh, yeah. I got out of that lifestyle. <laughs> yeah, man. I got to stay out of the casinos, man. A lot of fun nights, but not very financially <laughs> helpful. Yup. Put your money somewhere else. Um, have you scaled your business at this point to, you know, almost as big or almost as big as the business you were in with your friend, with the other guy? Uh, we're getting close. We're not, we're not quite there yet. Um, it's, it's definitely like an everyday, you know, struggle to, to you know, keep growing it. It's like a lot of factors. Yeah. And it's, it's another, um, another like mental, um, 
like you have to have like a certain mentality or mindset or get yourself focused on a daily basis to a mm-hmm. different like uh and i enjoy it because it's kind of like a challenge every day it can be stressful there can be days where you wake up and you're like fuck i'm over it but like the there's a certain comfort in waking up going to a job clocking out and going home and i think i touched on that last on the last when we talked but like there's a comfort level in that, which is there's nothing wrong. Some people don't want the stress of trying to keep business in the door and they just want their agreed upon paycheck. And but then then there's the guy like, you know, you where you have to make sure you're still growing. You have to come up with new ideas, new ways. You have to learn the next step. You have to break plateaus. And it's just like a a whole nother challenge. And yeah, there's a lot of research and work and uh, resources to do that. What do you think is your biggest resource? What is the biggest resource? Like, do you have um, like, like, and I don't know if that confuses you, but like down the lines of like maybe like a mentor or just books or, you know, the internet, like what's your biggest like resource to keeping your business growing and alive and, Man, it's a good question. Um, biggest resource. See, I, I don't know if, if it's a matter of resource because, you know, as I think about it, it's like even when I was working for somebody else and it doesn't necessarily mean the previous job, but like all of the jobs and sort of my work life, I was basically the same. I was never like the nine to five guy. I, I was, um, regardless whether it's like working for myself or working for somebody else, I just, you know, I, I enjoy the work. I enjoy the creativity. I enjoy growing something. I enjoy, you know, learning and sort of gaining competence. It, it, it's more of a temperament thing. And then, you know, a, as you're kind of doing that, um, you know, you're, you're, finding, you're finding different things as resources. Um, internet is, a, you know, you can probably go on YouTube and find pretty much how to do anything these days. It's like whenever, when, whenever I'm looking for like specific things and figuring out how shit works or how to do it, I mean, YouTube is a great resource, you know, yeah. like even fixing shit around the house. I basically like go to YouTube and you know, watch a 10 minute video of a guy like fucking fixing a sink. And I'm like, there's no way I'm doing that. I'm, and I'm calling a plumber. <laughs> You're right. You know, I, but I, I would say, uh, yeah, I would say, I would, I, yeah, I would say uh, YouTube, um, and then I would say books. You know, the more you read, the, the better you get. Do you have like a mentor, anyone that you kind of rely on, or no, 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 sort of, yeah, self self driven curiosity. Curiosity is my mentor. It's like fig- figuring well, now, out how shit how shit works. Now that you drop those terms, self driven, and uh, <clears throat> I want to know like what why you think that is or what what are you chasing what am i chasing i don't know i think it's something you're born with because again it's like depends who you ask different people have different temperaments it's like somebody is more curious somebody is less curious like i actually enjoy figuring out how shit works i mean to some degree i guess i'm a geek right that puts me in that space and i think we talked about it last time too it's like i want to know what's behind you know, the wall, like, how was this shit made? What is it made from? Why is it made like that? 
you know, how can you make it better? How can I monetize it? See, and I'm going to play devil's advocate here because you could still go work at work for somebody and learn the inner workings. You know, you can still, you know, get hired just about anywhere and figure out, you know, uh, let's say a restaurant, you get hired, you know, you work behind in the kitchen. Now you know how the soup is made and how the steak is weighed and cut and how, you know, to tell whether it's medium or medium rare. Yep. But you're not the guy pirating the ship. You're still learning and you're still seeing what's going on behind closed doors. But yeah, there, there's got to be a certain something that makes you want it yourself and not. No, yeah, but but you could, you know, plenty of people make careers and, you know, climbing the corporate ladder. And, you, you know, there's there's plenty of stories of um, somebody starting out as a mail room clerk, although it doesn't happen, you know, these days, but traditional story of success is like he was a mailroom clerk and now he's the CEO. You know, it's like a lot of books out there like that. Like, I think we talked about the Bob Iger's book, right? Yep. The Disney guy. Yeah, oh, yeah. Like, that's essentially his story. He's like, you know, I was fucking an executive or just some like guy making coffee for people and now I'm the CEO 20 years later. So well, what like, about that, that janitor who like died? And he was a, a janitor at like a school or something. Uh-huh. And he died. And, you know, he, I think, it, I think it was something I might be wrong. I might be butchering it, but it was still fucking crazy. It was like a janitor who died. And when it came to divvying out his will or his finances, he had like over like $8 million like saved and invested. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's a sad life, dude. It's sad, but he, it's so fucking crazy that um that I don't know. I just think it's crazy that this guy is, has that much saved up and never really turned it into anything. Yeah, or or, or 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 really did anything with his life other than be a janitor. Although maybe he did. I don't know. Or there's like just plenty of stories. But there's there's plenty of stories like that too. Where basically you know there's like I'm sure there's grandmas out there who fucking with millions millions of dollars under their mattress living in like a one bedroom slum. You know. <laughs> yeah, I mean. There, there's a lot. Yeah, you're right. There is a lot of crazy stories, and that's one thing I'm learning as I'm um, getting older. Is it's not about like really about it's not about necessarily how much you make hourly. It's like money management. I've got um, I got a friend that I think is one of the coolest things. I bring it up all the time. Like he delivered pizzas for ever, mm-hmm. and he has um, he's so good at like Excel spreadsheets. He has them for everything, and he delivers pizzas. He bought a triplex um a little bit up north and i think he lived in one and rented the other two out and then now he rents all three of them out and he came and he bought a townhome and he ha- he moved a few friends in with him so mm-hmm. he's like delivering pizzas making money off of his triplex and he's his friends living with him is pretty much paying for his townhome and then he's gonna eventually buy something new or he was last time i talked to him he was like starting to put the feelers out to buy the next thing and move on and Mm-hmm. You know, you would think like, oh, this guy delivers pizzas. Like, you know, he's not like a, a CEO of anything crazy, but he's probably his money management is just like off the chains and he owns more and has less debt than 90% of the people you walk by on the street. Yeah, that's and, crazy. That's interesting. And just and just being able to be content with like where you're going and what you have is is like just a, a cool mindset on its own, like just being able to go home and be like, yeah, well, you know, I got what I need and 
this money's going here and it's not moving until it goes that way. It's just, I think it's really fucking cool when you hear stuff like that. It is cool. Um, I don't know if that's the life I'd want. It's like, you know, I guess what it's what works for you. I mean, if you're if you're cool doing that, that that's great. I mean, obviously, being able to um, manage money and um, have discipline to basically not spend and save those are those are good things. Maybe but, I just envy it too much because I'm always looking to upgrade my shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, some somebody once said it's not how much you spend, it's how much you make, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, that, 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 it might have been a shitty guy who said that, I don't know. It might it might have come from Wolf of Wall Street, so I, I don't know if that's a valid quote. To, well, I mean, I've got, sort of like <laughs> I got the friends out there too who make, you know, 10 grand and spend 12. Yeah, that, that, that's not good either. I mean, you, look, you, you need discipline regardless of how much you make or where you stand or what you do. I think discipline is, is an underrated value. Um, but sort of living at my own expense so I can save more money feels like a waste of life to me. It's, so, like, it's like, you know, I think the bigger the bigger value comes from saving time rather than saving money because time is finite and money is expendable. So it's like any time you can trade money for time, I feel you've won. And how do you do that? And like, I don't concept? know. I, I don't know. I'm just saying that like, if, are you saying like financial freedom? Yeah. Basically you, you want to get to a point where, where you have your time back. That, that seems like the right place for financial freedom. That's, it's not even being it's not, it's not being able to spend the money any way you want. It's having the opportunity to do whatever the fuck you want with with your time without worrying that, you know, something will go astray. Let's say. And I think therein lies my stress with like a 9 to 5. Like I'm showing up to something I'm not passionate about and that I yeah. don't particularly enjoy. And this is just my mindset. Some people live completely comfortable, happy lives and are happy doing that. And there's a lot of places where I've worked. Uh, I'm kind of like you. I haven't had too many like nine to fives or full time gigs unless it was for myself or me like hustling or grinding something. But like um, that is a a really good point that you made. Um, Not being able to buy whatever you want, but being able to go and do whatever you want because without worrying about the money right right exactly and i think that on one side you get the comfort of knowing the money's coming in and you've got a job and stuff for the most part but i also had a friend tell me that uh you know one of the guys at our our jiu-jitsu gym he also told me you know people like you and me who have have had businesses or at least been like self-sufficient or self-employed um like, say, like, you're at, like, Wing House. I think because mm-hmm. I'm thinking of this because this is where we have the conversation. This store gets shut down or goes under or a company is over. Like, these people have to go run and find and hide. And, you know, they might be a while before they get a new job. They might get fucked, you know. Mm-hmm. But the people who are, like, you know, self, you know, self-employed or just kind of have the mindset of, like, you know, you're going to do it for yourself and problem solve. 
they're able to start something else usually or, you know, go a different path or, you know, kind of switch up or how you put it, pivot. Yeah, may- maybe. I-, I think a lot of it comes down to um, if you're self-employed and the ship is going down, you at least see their trajectory early enough because, you know, there's plenty of stories of people like working really great jobs, you know, and, and like Enron doing, doing well as an executive at Enron. And all of a sudden, basically, you wake up tomorrow and the company's fucking bankrupt and you haven't seen it coming, you know, because okay. you, you don't have the insight into this entire like structure, at least when you're doing it yourself, even if you are, let's say, making same or less money than if you are working for somebody else, you at least have, maybe it's an illusion, but you at least have the feeling as if you can steer the ship the way you want and also you see what's in front of you, maybe a little further away than if you're working for somebody else, especially in a larger organization. Right. You know? Yeah. Maybe, maybe uh, I should retract that a little bit and make it more of like a question rather than a statement. Because I guess now that we're talking about it and comparing it, it is like two different, two different, uh, I don't know if one's necessarily better than the other. It's just two different, like they each have their different perks. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, and I, again, I think it comes down to the matter of temperament too. Cause again, there's plenty of like competent people, regardless of what the fuck happens in their career, they can probably find another job because they know what they're doing. Yeah. You go find a similar trade or something. That is a huge perk of like some trades that people do. Yeah. There's certain people that, you know, they're, they're valuable even if they don't work for themselves because they're competent. I think a lot of it comes down to competence. How do you, uh, how do you find good, competent employees? <laughs> well, it's a shot in the dark. <laughs> oh, yeah. We did already cover that. Yeah, we did, dude. It's like, it's, you don't fucking know. Until they start and you're there like six months into it, you don't fucking know. Can you tell I'm emotionally scarred? <laughs> yeah, dude. You, you, you don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, wish I, could, I wish I could tell you. That would probably be a, a good business in itself, being able to tell who the fuck competent employees are. I think if I've you... asked myself that so many times that, like, I say it in my sleep. <laughs> yeah, man. I, you know, you don't know. You don't know. It's like you hope for the best. You know, you look at the resume. It has to sort of make sense. It has to be cohesive. You know, you sort of poke holes at it where you can. Maybe you ask leading questions. Generally, when we interview people, um, whenever I interview people, I tend to deep dive into what it is that they've done, how they've done it in previous jobs. Because if they can't tell you in detail exactly how that shit worked, um, I don't think they're a competent person. Because like, if you ask me how shit works, you know, or what I did in my previous job, I can fucking tell you, like, I can break this down into like, you know, a molecular table, but mm. maybe that's just me. Uh, I mean, I can see both sides. Like if, if you can't answer like competent, like I think it's a good way to gauge the competence, but at the same time, there might be some companies that don't, that really compartmentalize like the skills and the, the gears, you know? Yeah, yeah, like but I'm. Com- go ahead. No, I, I, I see. Uh, as um, it's kind of a good, it's a good point. I'm kind of like, honestly, like, 
bouncing back and forth in my head here when you're saying that because if you're somewhere long enough, you do kind of get familiar and pick up on what's going on around you. Yeah, you know the details. You know, it's again like let's let's take a customer service job for example. You know, like if you ask somebody and you're interviewing somebody for a customer service job, and they were in a customer service job before, it's like, what did you do there? How did it work? And uh, you know, I basically picked up picked up the phone and I helped the customers. It's like that's a shitty answer. It's like okay. you know, he, here are the people that came through the door. Here are the questions they asked. Here's how I handled concerns. Here's how I handled complaints. Here's um, here are a bunch of reviews that people have said about me. You know, here's the things that my boss said. Here's how my job touched other departments. You know, like you have to kind of know context, right? Yeah. And if you can't, if if you only know your job in its own little bubble without any context, I don't know if you can be a competent employee. So my context was off. I, I I like how you said, like, kind of explain your job and explain your responsibilities and, you know, give examples. Yeah, dive into I, details, you know. But when people called me, here's, like, the top five questions they fucking asked. And the reason they asked those fucking five top questions is because, A, our salespeople did a bad job selling it. The website didn't have proper information. You know, I talked to my boss about adding that information to the website. It never happened, you know. Like, you at least start putting context around the problem. And then the more details you fill in, the more you see that the person at least thought about all those things relating to their role in that job. Because it's like, it's, it's not the answers that's competence. It's the ability to ask the right questions. I think that's that's the competence. Right. It, uh <clears throat> A lot of business owners seem to be problem solvers, you know, constant problem solvers. Yeah. And I, uh, I think you're dropping like a lot of good, like gems and tips. And I don't know, I don't even know if you do- know you're doing it, but no, no, and just just a lot of these questions I'm asking, you're at least giving like pretty good little gems that I think you know. I would hope somebody listening can pick up on that. Yeah. The other I mean, thing, want- the other thing these people don't know that you do is those beautiful professional photography pictures you did today <laughs> ha. i i remember you bringing a drone to the gym i did i still have it i that gotta set was, that up again that shit was badass i tried to find that video um kind of switching up here uh i don't know if you had anything else to say before no no that's that's okay. yeah, plenty of things okay. yeah I, I know we could uh go forever i just i like i was looking earlier today because i remember after you sent me those pictures, I'm like, oh, yeah, he brought a drone in the gym. So for the people listening, we were – I was like – I think it was like I was wrestling with Galarmy. And yeah, this, probably you have this drone floating around videotaping it. Yeah. As we're doing stand-up and, and rolling and stuff, and I was like – I don't know. You sent me a video of it, and it was pretty fucking cool. Yeah, I got to find that video. I got to bring the drone in again, actually, because once we have a full class, man, that fucking drone, I can probably have it hang in the corner and it'll film the whole thing. Be pretty cool. You even like you sent me those pictures and I was I was sending them over to uh, Brittany and she was like, who's taking these pictures of you? And I'm like, chill out. It was David. He He's injured. So he came to the gym anyways, brought some camera. And <clears throat> I didn't know you did it uh, professionally. Yeah, no, I, I I did it for a while. When we got married, um, I made friends with the guy who shot our wedding. And as a side gig, 
um, I basically made made him teach me how to take professional photos. So he would take me to like all the weddings and shit as a second photographer to the point where like I did it for, I think, five years or six years. And then I was shooting my own weddings. You know, he'd be like, I'm doing this wedding and you go shoot this other wedding. So I was like, fine. You know, Sounds ended like up shooting 400 people at Syrian weddings. It was a fucking good time. You could like, you could almost double up your business and shoot divorce pictures too. <laughs> no, divorce, <laughs> des- destroy the divorce dress. <laughs> yeah, just like with how many people get the, I always think about that, like people who do like wedding gigs, like whether it's like DJing or, photography or confections like i'm always like if that person could dip into the uh the divorce business they'd have you know 60 percent increase in customers oh yeah fucking uh customer retention dude it's like <laughs> higher, higher, sec, second wedding is half price <laughs> yeah right it's like i took pictures of your wedding i took pictures of your divorce your second wedding <laughs> yeah yeah dude you know you do third one it's 25 percent off repeat customers bro i repeat like it yeah, what? I don't imagine it gets a lot of repeat customers. <laughs> what what is what was um were you just doing that for fun? Were you just like yeah. fuck it? No, no, I was like I was making money. I was this was again side gig. You know, I was always like looking for sort of things to do outside of my nine to five. So Yeah. Just, you know, going out there looking for opportunities to start something. I mean, fuck. Yeah, I mean, just kind of thought about starting something that's kind of where i'm at too bro and yeah did you uh what about like the gym today was that just for fun or like the professor like no no just for fun just, i i enjoy taking them you know i, I like like that that's my balance in life because again remember i told you how i work all the time right like i like my hobbies tend to become my fucking jobs so it's like I was working for somebody. My hobby became starting a business, and that thing became my my life. And then I like to balance things out with creative endeavors. So uh, photography is one of them. It was pretty badass. Like I like, I thought it was pretty cool. Like um, you were like relatively new to the gym um, when you brought in the drone. So I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? I didn't know if like legs hired somebody or if like <laughs> no, you were, no, like, no, just trying to get a stripe or something. But <laughs> no, no, I don't fucking. Do that. I'll, this I'll, fucking I'll... this little drone's like flying around as I'm like doing stand up and wrestling. And yeah, I can't, right. I couldn't find that video. I went on to like our uh, like our uh, our messages back and forth on like Instagram where you sent it to me and it was gone. Uh-huh. No, I got it somewhere. I'm sure I'll find it. It might even be on the drone still. Oh, that'd be cool, man. Yeah. Yeah. If if you're ever uh, interested in, you know, part-time starting up some sort of jiu-jitsu company or you got ideas, bro, throw them my way because I've been brainstorming for like six months straight now and I can't figure out how to make money in that sport. <laughs> yeah, dude. I, it's a fucking tough gig. It's it's one of those things. Like, I think kids is the answer. Like it has to do with kids, man. People are fucking willing to pay money for kids. Like they're not willing to pay money for themselves, but for kids, people are. That's why fucking Taekwondo studios are still, you know, doing great. Because like, like how fucking effective is Taekwondo these days? You know, like my three-year-old was a black belt. You know. See, but 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 they would watch my kids every night after school, and it was fucking great. And so you know, they got my money. (laughs) That uh. 
you just remind me of the monk thing from earlier. I'll have to I'll have to mention that in a minute. But the uh, I that's the fear in jujitsu is like it getting watered down like taekwondo, man. And I fucking hope it doesn't. Um, no, jujitsu is great. I, I mean, I I think uh, I don't think it'll ever get to the point where it's like taekwondo. It's definitely gaining popularity, but you know. It, um, it attracts a different audience, in my opinion. I could see that. And the technicality of it will probably also protect it. You know what I mean? Like, there is a difference between, like, Taekwondo, you can do those katas and wood breaking and these kicks and punches. And, you know, there is somewhat of effectiveness in, you know, the self-defense standpoint. Like, you know, we've all seen videos online of Taekwondo guys, like, kicking ass out of nowhere. Yep. But um, there, that's the one beautiful thing about our sport and jiu-jitsu, which it's not really the most fun thing to watch, especially if you don't do it. And even if you do do jiu-jitsu, it still is easy to get bored watching matches. Yeah, But doing it is, like, super addictive. And it's, like, it's, like, I, ne- I was always, like, into stand-up boxing, kickboxing, Thai I yep. never thought I'd be in anything grappling. I used to get into arguments and fights with wrestlers in high school because I would argue that boxing was better and wrestling doesn't make you like the biggest badass in the world. Mm-hmm. And here I am like, you know, yep. as, soon as, like, as soon as I got into a mixed martial arts gym with like a, a eight year wrestler and a black belt under Pablo Popovich, I was like, fuck, I'm addicted to jujitsu. <laughs> like, yeah, but there is a huge difference between somebody who walks on the mat somebody who's been there for six months, someone who's been there for six years and someone who's been there for, you know, 12 years, 15 years, 20 years, like that, like amount of time on the mat, you can't fake it really. Yeah. And it's all experience too. It's like the more you roll, the more you're on the mat, man, the the better you get. Yeah, exactly. So I think that technicality in itself would protect the sport from being like Taekwondo watered down. Mm -hmm. It's just the, the ultimately like let's be real and you know since we're having like a business chat maybe you've got some good insight on this but like there's a certain like customer retention you get with like the promotions it's almost like the promotion system or like the stripe system or like the belts isn't necessarily to gauge your skill level it's to like keep 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 you going keep you going yeah like a motivation and um it is, it is, and and it's not. Um, I think the motivation, like I think, I think there's a lot of retention built into the sport. Because um, again, once you start and once you start seeing yourself progress a little, you know, like you know, after after the first year, you're pretty much addicted, man. You're not fucking going anywhere. Yeah, but I mean, short short of like you know rage quitting, you know, once you're a blue belt or some shit, but like. Again, I, I don't see myself, unless, again, maybe some fucking injury happens or something, you know, like you have to be out for eight months and then you have to kind of make yourself come back again. But like, as I'm seeing myself progress and, and seeing how much more I need to learn, it's very difficult to leave and nor do you want to, you know. In fact, you want to double down. You want to double down on it. I mean, I think maybe you're referring to like just... Um, loyalty to a specific school rather than jujitsu in general no i'm more so like 
I'm referring more to, to like the fear of like, like Taekwondo got kind of known for like, you know, you do it for two years and you're a black belt. Yeah. Whether you like are good or not, like, and, and not, I'm not saying every gym's like this. I'm sure there's some really good traditional Taekwondo academies mm-hmm. who take it serious and have like, you know, senseis or whatever that like have a criteria, but it seems like the more gyms that open up, um, the more of like the Gracie system where you can get blue belts online, like uh-huh. from taking online courses and stuff like that. Like, oh, I guess, I that's I'm, thing. yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking more of like a, a, a fearful watering down standpoint. I'm not necessarily saying that is exactly how it is. And I'm not necessarily like saying like every school or our, our gym is like that. I'm more so speaking of like the fear of, of it becoming like, like you know, too too systematized rather than like, like hey sign hey sign up and and you know we'll fast track you to a blue belt or hey sign up and you know oh you look like you're getting bored so here's a stripe or like you know what I mean like, like yeah uh, I I I see what you're saying I think I think that's difficult to do if you're an adult now if you look at like Taekwondo schools, for example, I think the majority of, of customers are kids because their motivation is getting a stripe, the discipline, you know, like all that shit that they teach, right? Right. With jujitsu, I don't give a shit about fucking stripes. I, I care about, you know, you're back to competence. You know, you, you want to be competent. You want to you wanna learn and you want to continue learning. So... Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I, unless I guess it does become like Taekwondo. Let's think about that for a second. So, and I'm also but, kind of playing devil's advocate here. Like I'm kind yeah, of yeah. trying to get you to dig deep. Yeah. Like l- let's assume you have a, a jujitsu gym. Let's say the Gracie system, you know, Gracie Baja, whatever. Cause that's, that seems to be like the closest thing to like a Taekwondo system. Right. Yeah, they're like the most franchised like, and stuff. It's, it's, it's a corporate jujitsu rather than like individual gym, right? Right. So they're trying to systematize it so they keep people in um, and they feed them with stripes and, you know, maybe they fast track them. But I, and I, I don't know if that's happening. I'm just speculating. But anytime those people get out in the real world and go to a competition and they see that their jujitsu, you know, at a purple level, let's say, isn't worth shit and they're getting like rolled over. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're either going to change schools or, or rethink at least the methods that have been taught to them. Okay. Because like in Taekwondo, I don't know, or, you know, I'm sure they have competitions, but like... They're not really I, like... I did some Taekwondo competitions when I was younger. It's a lot of like the katas, mm-hmm. like where you're doing like the little kata. And yeah, then yeah. like a lot of the sparring is like where you're wearing that like chest piece and the head piece. Correct. And you're like, you're like kicking and there's like a weird point system. Like if you kick the targets and make, make a move or yeah, you, you score, not really like a boxing match or a kickboxing match where. Yeah, for sure. I, th- I think um, it lacks context. Again, you're back, you're, you're back to context because like. Taekwondo outside of its own little bubble is sort of useless. Yeah, right. you know, 
not really, but sort of. Jiu-jitsu, yeah. on the other hand, like you fucking something happens to you on the street, man. You can always resort to jujitsu and you'll be fine. As long as you block your face. As long <laughs> as you block your face, you know. There, yeah, there's more like boxing, jujitsu, wrestling, judo, like those are fucking like real sports that like anything happens to you in the street, you can always go back to that shit. It's like oh, yeah. Win Chun and Taekwondo are very close together, I'm sure, when it comes to effectiveness in the street. Yeah, like there might be some things you can pull out to help you, but it's it's not like, you know, some guy isn't able to double leg you or something. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Any any anything is better than nothing, but I think you might as well choose. If you're going that path, you might as well choose a sport that's like real. And I think jujitsu is it. I was just picking your brain on that because like there's like love, hate. It's like you want to grow the sport and you want to bring money to the sport. Yep. But there's like certain like people are gonna try different things, which is great. Like creative ways to make well what about somebody who can't get to the gym every day but is interested and it's like all right well we'll make a online course and you go online yeah. and you, you learn the shit and then you virtual jujitsu yeah like basically put on a, yeah put on a vr set and basically do some jujitsu but then it's like it's like like i get it like you know if somebody sure. really like if there's maybe a handful of people out there who like can't get to a gym or like really want to learn or like I don't know. There, there's like probably I'm sure there's a crazy situation or two where that is very helpful and very positive. Yep. But then like I don't want to like like at one point I'm like okay well they're they're making this money off of this but like does this person understand that there's a difference between like applying the positions you know what I mean and and yep. using them. Yep. Or is this person yeah. just completely satisfied with just watching videos and, and studying them and sending videos sure. back of you rolling with a dummy, you know? Yeah, I mean, if you can make a business out of it uh, and it's a viable business, um, I don't see why not. Okay. But, you know, I'm, I'm all for letting the market decide because the market will tell you whether you're doing something right or not. Whether there's interest or not. Correct, because it's like, yeah, go ahead and try it. As long as it's legal and, you know, valuable to somebody. But, like, again, you'll find out pretty quickly whether whether it's a viable thing or not. And you can make a living out of it. Okay. It's, uh, it's, it's, like, it's like, you know, in jiu-jitsu, there's probably very... I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of businesses relating to jiu-jitsu. So, you know, the academy itself, uh, supplying the clothes, right... Companies who make keys and rash guards and shit. So that's a jujitsu related business. Maybe it's a vertical for them because they make other shit for other industries. But you know, at least that's that's an industry they serve. You know, there's probably room in that industry for somebody cleaning mats. You know, maybe you can make a business um, going around uh, and sanitizing. Going around. Yeah, going around uh, jujitsu or other dojos. It doesn't have to be jujitsu. Maybe it's uh, if it's jujitsu gyms, uh, judo gyms, uh, wrestling places, uh, taekwondo places. Like any place that has a mat, you know, it's a cleaning service for for any place with a mat. You know, I'm sure there's a business that you can create out of that, right? Yeah, that's actually a good idea. 
Yeah, then then uh, I'm sure there's a business that then you could get uh, you could even get daily customers like almost like a cleaning service. That's right. That's what I'm saying. So it's like you can probably create a business around cleaning service because I know like at our gym, it's I, I think somebody comes in every morning to clean it twice a day, uh, I think, or it used to yeah, be at least. Yeah, maybe twice a day, but you can probably create, um, you know, sign a contract and it's a professional cleaning service and fucking you you show them the value of doing it with a service and you sign up a bunch of gyms and then you hire a bunch of, you know, Polish maids and fucking that's what they do. All, that's all they do all day. And they just fucking drive from gym to gym. Hey, they'd be Brazilian maids. But, sorry. You know, Brazilian <laughs> maids. That's, that's fine. Portuguese maids. <laughs> Port- Portuguese maids. That's fine. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that's one way to do it. Um, and then I'm sure there's a, there's room for supplies for the gym. So again, distributor of mats and chairs and fucking, uh, those little back rollers, all the purple belts roll on, you know, when everybody else is running. <laughs> Shots and, fired. Shots shot, fired. Yeah, I, I see ya. I see ya. <laughs> I cover um, that in the purple belt blues, bro. Yeah, I know. I heard it. <laughs> so, and I, I do. I specifically remember being a blue belt and seeing every fucking purple belt show up to class late and not warm up and just sit there and, and bullshit on the corner. And I'm like, I'm not going to be that guy. I'm not going to yeah. be that guy. It is a thing. So I have you know, different there's... circumstances, though. I do show up late, but I show up when I like, you know, I'm on my lunch break. I run over there as soon as rolls are starting so I can get some workout in during the day. Yeah, just I hear in you. case I don't make night classes, you know, <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. I wasn't referring to you specifically. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm over here defending myself. But I'm I not guilty, man. <laughs> clearly it's on your mind so <laughs> uh, call it how you see it you know what i mean i know so so there's that <laughs> then there's probably uh you know Fuck on that guy yeah chiropractors and medical professionals who fucking service the jujitsu industry you know there's that then um um what else can you fucking do in that industry dude if i was like a struggling like massage therapist or chiro i would be popping in all the local gyms and be like, "Hey, I'll come in on Fridays or yeah, Wednesdays for sure. And... Do a seminar, whatever the fuck, you know. Yeah, Just make 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 friends with all the professors and fucking hang out to the gym as much as you can. It's like come come in, do a group fucking session, you know, adjust everybody's back after class, you know, make your fifteen dollars per per body and get the fuck out and go to the next gym, you know. Yeah, for sure. It's like you know, there's tra- traveling dog groomers, so why not a traveling chiropractor? It's like, again, it's what a niche. A traveling, but... What about a traveling gym? Yeah, a little van. You basically create a bus, you know, buy a school bus and fucking out, outfit it with mats. And then you like come to people's places of work and they just fucking roll. And then you put a shower in there and fucking <laughs> you're good. Shower in the back. Yeah. BJJ and wheels, you know, or some shit. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The monk thing from earlier, dude. That was funny. So... I've been watching this this monk in the mornings because I've been super stressed heading to work and uh, I'm kind of dealing with um, like I'm I'm getting the the closed in stress like claustrophobic stress like you know the job is stressful they expect me to keep track and do so much that it's like such a mental uh, like burden every day to be in there it's not like a simple straightforward job it's like a yep technical uh, knowledge and shit. 
technical knowledge, but just like always a storm going and you have to know where I have to know where all these parts and this money and all this stuff is going all while, you know, you've got a construction company basically that's just all over the place. And, Mm -hmm. um, it's just kind of like controlled chaos, but anyway, that's just one aspect. The other aspect is also the time that, um, you know, we spoke earlier, like I'm dedicating so much more and some people call me a bitch cause it's only like 40 hours a week, but it's just, I'm not used to waking up and like being expected to be somewhere at this time to this time, every single day with all the, I don't know. It's just an, it's, it's an adjustment. It's stressing me the fuck out. Just yeah, plain yeah. and simple. So I've been listening to this Shaolin monk every morning on the way to work telling him and I don't know. I just started feeling the vibe because the dude is so calm and he explains things and you're like, Oh my gosh, there is a light. Like how to see positive in darkness. I'm like, okay, I need some of this. And you know, how to live unshaken, how to live an unshaken lifestyle, be unshakable. And then I come into, I sent one of the videos to Dave today and I come into class and I tell him like, yeah, bro, I've been watching this monk. And Dave just looks at me and gives me the most, real fucking truth about that video that i it completely went by my radar bro like it went straight to my like what emotional receptors i have and it was what was it what was the exact term you said or words you put it like so it's like the dude has no fucking context you know he's not (laughs) living the same life you are it's like yeah great you know he's got fucking great discipline and you know he's a monk and everything and he's telling you how to fucking live a zen life but like he lives in the forest and it's like no family and no fucking, you know, responsibility other than waking up, drinking tea and fucking doing Shaolin shit all day. Like, <laughs> no, like how relevant is that to you, my friend? And the, yeah, then you and I start talking about like, well, if I didn't have kids and <laughs> yeah, yeah dude, like, like, you know, t- a job and all your all stress. So it's like fucking t- take away rent, you know, children and like daily responsibilities. Like I can fucking live a Zen life all day, man. <laughs> you're right it's like so the kids and the job are the problem <laughs> well you know to some degree no nah, it was just funny it's, how you put it's, that it's put a problem it, and a solution it's just hilarious how you put it in that context because i'm like yeah man fuck that went right over my head dude that like if i didn't have shit to do all day i'd be fucking making videos too telling people how to live stress-free and drink yeah. tea yeah everybody's got a secret it's fucking you know it's not paying rent and fucking drinking tea i mean yeah but yeah look look you know so to get back to kind of you know business ideas there's like plenty of business ideas and or opportunities in every industry um it's you know you kind of have to find what you like because if you're doing what you like it doesn't feel like you're working and then that means also you have natural curiosity towards it and and you kind of want it to work out and you're you're doing a better job doing it you know um, but also it's, it's about execution. It's not even the ideas. Cause like everybody has fucking millions of ideas. Like I fucking have ideas daily, man. I write this shit down every day. I probably have like a notebook of fucking a hundred ideas. It's like, how do you execute on them in a way that makes them profitable and, you know, well put together? Like it, it's all in the execution. It's not in the ideas. It's like take take even the most basic idea and just fucking run with it and do it well and thought out and I think you're gonna succeed. I've got a couple uh, ideas that I actually did write down. I was gonna run by you. Uh, yeah, go. Probably, on. probably not on mic. 
All right. Well, you know, if you want, I can give you a list of some fucking random ideas that I have. I just pulled up an old list of mine. It's like, right. you know, a do-it-yourself fuck it. Call it fuck it. Huh, I like it. You know, v- Vietnamese food. Oh, yeah. That's... P- P-H-O space kit. <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, how about brand of bacon bites called infidelity? And the slogan can be, it's so good, even vegans eat it. <laughs> you have to put plant-based now. Yeah, plant-based and vegan and gluten-free. You know, Boom. And put it in a tube. Bro, just... Have you noticed... Th- this just sparked another idea. Have you noticed that, like, everything now has to have, like, some sort of eco-friendly or plant-based friendly, like, stamp on it? It does, you know. We Do you have to do that shit with your company, or have you done that? Like, have you put on, like, your paper products, like, vegan-based paper or, like, like some sort of pledge that you're more environment-friendly, whether you changed anything in your recipe or not? Yeah, we, we do, you know, part of our offering is um, uh, sustainability and eco-friendliness. Like, all of our shit is made out of paper. So people switch to us because they want to get rid of single-use plastic. So they go with paper tube packaging because it's basically natural and biodegradable, recyclable, and the whole fucking thing. So the fucking soap in the gym, the Axe body wash soap, I noticed today when I was showering after class said now made with plant-based fragrances. Yeah, that's bullshit. That, that's I marketing. I almost wanted to punch that fucking thing out of the fucking shower. Yep. Yep. Well, the the other thing is, you know, people don't know what the fuck that even means. Like it sounds cool and it sounds good and it sounds like you're doing something right. Um, but like, nobody actually thought about what it means because, you know, sustainability and then eco-friendliness is a whole conversation, man. People call us daily and they're like, Hey, are your tubes, you know, compostable and, you know, eco-friendly. And I'm like, well, what are you looking for? And we basically have that conversation for half an hour and they're like, okay, sounds good. You know, we're down. Hmm. Yeah. It's just, it's just amazing. Like I, I guess I was more getting to the point to like, Whatever game, like another another fucking dumb. To me, it's just dumb. And every company like follows these like trends or fads, and I, I don't really understand why they all do it. But like, like when the whole you know, first we had like, like first it went from like BLM to then we had like COVID and like overnight like all the stores like the main stores that were open mm-hmm. had like plastic dividers between the registers and people yeah and yeah like everything was like and then which obviously was a shit ton of plastic and a shit ton of manufacturing and then next thing you see is this wave of like eco-friendliness eco-friendliness and i thought it was really fucking funny and coincidental that like i walk in i go to the targets right by my house so it's like my like my quick stop Uh i gotta run and grab something real quick i'm always in there and it yep. was just funny because, like, overnight they replaced all the signs in the Target with either white or brown recycled-looking signs that yep. said, "Like, oh, right, we're we're eco-friendly, we're climate-friendly." And I just thought about how much fucking plastic that they just threw away and how much plastic they just produced 
to make these fucking signs to tell you that they're eco-friendly. Yep, it's it's all messaging. It's not it's not really. So, you know, so how contradicting it was for them to tell you that they're like an eco-friendly business, and I'm like, why does everyone even have to go this route? Well, it feels good. Feels like we're saving Earth. So is that all it is? Are you just hitting the? Uh, you, is that what you're saying? It is. Is you think it's just like hitting like the, the the right emotional strings on people to make them feel comfortable within shopping there, or? Well, it is and it isn't, and it depends on the depth that you go because because it costs them money to do that too, you know. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Again, there's like it 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 goes from. Simple messaging to greenwashing, right? You know, you know the term greenwashing. Yes. Yeah. So it's like you you can you can basically say the messaging in a way that you're eco-friendly and shit, but on the back end you're like replacing all that plastic that you're throwing out with paper, craft paper. But like, what the fuck happens to plastic and nobody thinks about it, right? But like, everybody feels good and spends more money doing it. You know, gotcha. we, we, we try not to do that in our business. We, we actually go after industries that are uh, using plastic for like single use packaging. So somebody's, um, you know, like one of the products we make is a paper tube for deodorant applications. If you go to Target and, you know, you go to like deodorant or underarm deodorant section, you'll see a uh, majority of that shit in like plastic little containers, right? That click right. out you use the deodorant. So, but also in addition to those, you'll see some that are in paper tubes. So we make some of those paper tubes. So there's okay. like p- plenty of companies, um, like, you know, l- large national companies who are switching because of consumer demand from plastic packaging for like single use applications to paper packaging. And even though people aren't, let's say, recycling it, because on the one hand, everybody claims the shit's recyclable, but on the other hand, nobody really recycles the shit. Like, everybody throws it all out. It's like, there's, there's, a, there's a difference between what people say and what people actually do, right? Everybody screams eco-friendly, but then only like 7% of shit gets recycled. Right. So it's like, you know, there's a big disconnect between people saying that they're fucking saving the earth and then their actions show otherwise, obviously. Uh, so even if people throw the shit out, like paper biodegrades much quicker than plastic. So it's like we've basically just replaced all the shit in, re- in the landfill with paper. So even if it gets thrown out, it does decompose much quicker. So it's like that's eco-friendly. But then, you know, you also have customers who come to us. They're like, yeah, I have a specific like, you know, I want to put cheese or I want to put shampoo into a paper tube and just like, that's just not feasible unless you start putting plastic liners on the inside because if you keep a tube in the shower, obviously it'll fucking break down. But, you know, they're trying to kind of hit two birds with one stone and they just don't understand like what it means. Okay. So, you know, you're trying to kind of dial them back and be like, yeah, that's fine. Even if we have a plastic liner on the inside, the majority of the, the packaging is still paper. So... Yes, it's not perfect, but you're still fucking saving, you know, 80% of plastic into in your packaging. And then now you can put messaging on there that like instead of it's plastic free, it, it's it's an 80% reduction in plastic in the overall package. But they're like, yeah, it's not eco-friendly enough. I'm like, well, what's the baseline? It's like, why don't you fucking put it back into the plastic jar and like shut the fuck up, you know? <laughs> yeah, that or, you know, you just the terminology like 80 percent less plastic you know 
to put correct it's just again you know everybody thinks in absolute terms they're like it's either all in or it's like nothing i'll just keep it in the same thing it's like no no, no there's a space in between somewhere it's like you you have to crawl b- before you walk you have to like you, you can't go from you know a full plastic jar to like an old paper jar and expect it to act the same way because if there's fucking liquid inside and the packaging is paper there's no way that paper is holding liquid inside for fucking two years on a shelf and especially yeah. in a shower but putting a plastic liner on the inside is still better than keeping it in your full plastic jar so it's like so you have to kind of have that conversation for them to be like okay i see it you know but yeah, not everybody, yeah. everybody approaches you with like different terms so i think anyway back, back to the original problem is like people don't think about what it means they just kind of look at the surface messaging and it makes them feel good and they're, they're making a buying decision it's like oh great targets now eco-friendly there's craft paper everywhere it's like yeah what the fuck happened to all that plastic yeah i guess it <laughs> i mean i guess you're right i i'm like a deep thinker and, and a lot of times an overthinker and i think that is like uh like a lot of people are impulse buyers there's a lot of impulse to it yeah and yeah so if you got everything around you looking like you're making a good decision for the planet or whatever the trend is at the moment, like, you know, in the impulse, you're going to probably purchase the products and shop there and feel good. Yeah, possibly if, if you, if you can afford it because the shit generally costs more because plastic packaging is a lot cheaper because it comes out of a machine looking beautiful every single fucking time because it's fully automatically made. As soon as you get into paper packaging, you start seeing like manufacturing tolerances and imperfections because it's natural materials, you know? So mm-hmm. it's like, they're like, well, yeah, we don't like it. We, you know, re- reject, you know, can you redo the order? It's like, yeah, I mean, you're saying you're eco-friendly, but you just fucking rejected this like 50,000 piece order. Like where the fuck you think this paper is going to go now? Uh, you know, and, so- and that cost has to be amortized into the rest of the product. So like all of a sudden, you know, your, your, Lip balm isn't 99 cents. It's 3.99. It's like, for sure, you, you, you can scream, you know, Mother Earth all you want, but unless you're willing to basically put up the money and actually do it, you know, we, we, we don't have a solution here. So how do you compete? So like you, you start, you know, talking to these people about packaging and you're talking about sales. I'm guessing from what it sounds like, was that basically like your pitch is like, being more eco-friendly and all natural materials or how do you yeah, get someone who's coming to the bottom line is, is the less money they spend, the more profit they make. How do you transfer them into like paper products? So yeah, it's, it's definitely part of the pitch, but it's not the entire pitch. So you, you kind of have to think about who these customers are and what they're trying to achieve, right? If you're a brand new business and you're trying to break into any industry, let's say you're making cosmetics and you're making like natural vegan cosmetics and, and you know, you're, you're breaking into the cosmetics industry and let's say you're going to sell it in Sephora or even Target, right? Right. Anytime, anytime you look at a shelf of products, it's a pretty mature industry at that point. There's like fucking millions of, you know, vegan products out there or other forms of products. Like how do you stand out on that shelf? One way to stand out is by putting it into unique packaging and paper tube is definitely it. Because like if you look at, if you go to Sephora or you go to Ulta, you'll see nothing but boxes. 
So it's like all those boxes are bleeding together, but then all of a sudden you have this tube, all of a sudden mm. the customer's eyes are drawn to it. So it's like premium packaging that stands out. That's like number one thing. Number two is people look at packaging as part of the product experience. You know, how many times have you bought a new phone and you've opened that box and you're like, ah, you know, it slides out and it's smooth and it's like beautiful. And then it's like, the first thing you think about is the unboxing experience, not even the product. So like your packaging becomes part of the product experience. So these tubes are designed in a way and manufactured in a way and create an experience in a way that like makes people go like, oh, this is cool. You know, maybe we create some kind of an insert inside that holds the product in a unique way. Maybe uh, there's an audible pop when you open that cap and it's like, you know, auditory branding all of a sudden, like that you start associating with the quality of the product. There is something to say about that. Like when you, you get something nice and like just opening it up feels like, like luxury. Yeah, absolutely. Plus, plus our packaging gets kept. So, you know, if you think about like, if you look at your wife's closet, I'm sure you'll see a bunch of jewelry boxes sitting there with jewelry in it. There's like, there's types of packaging that never gets discarded. People keep that shit because they want to use it for other things or they want to keep the original product in it or, you know, it's sitting on somebody's desk with pens in it or you give it to your kids and they're like making crafts out of. So it's like, it's a packaging that has a life beyond the initial use. Okay. So so all those things kind of combine into a a great experience. And then plus it's eco-friendly. So again, if you're, if you're, um, a new company and then you're trying to create your messaging to capture a certain demographic, probably sustainability is one of the things that your customers are thinking about. So, you know, you're, you're using paper and it's beautiful and it creates a great experience. Like, and it actually helps you sell more products. It's like, we have plenty of examples of customers who switch to paper tubes and their businesses have basically fucking grown beyond the initial it's like all of a sudden this packaging is how you get into target because the target buyer looks at packaging and the product itself too, you know? Right. So it's like a, there's, there's value that you basically build. It's not just another box. It's like, it's something else. That's cool. I like how you explained everything. You've definitely, uh, your sales are definitely on point. Well, to, to, it, we, we had to think about it for a long time. Plus, we've gotten the feedback from our customers. Like, they, they say the same shit. They're like, look, man, we got your tubes and everybody loves them. And, like, they keep coming back for the products. And we've secured, like, three other retailers. And, you know, I need, like, 50,000 pieces more. So, like, great. Could, one of the last questions for you tonight, you know, could you sell me this pen? Can I sell you the pen? <laughs> What what do you need a pen for? I don't know. That's uh, I was going off the Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, I know, I know. Like, what do you need a pen? Nobody writes anymore. <laughs> That's not selling me the pen. That's making me. <laughs> no, forget the pen. I'll sell you a fucking laptop. <laughs> yeah, right. I yeah. always and to be real with you, bro, I always wonder what the answer was. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 not. Funny enough, we were just talking with a friend of mine about this sell me this pen thing. It's like it takes a different level of salesmanship to sell a pen versus selling a car. I know he claims it's the same fucking thing, but it's not. Oh, fuck no, it's, it's not. not. 
No, it's not. It's like you want. In fact, you maybe you want people who can't sell you a pen because they're they're made for something bigger. Okay. I, what do you think? Like, what do you think that scene in that movie was referring to? That sell you the pen? Yeah, like sell me this pen. Like, what do you think the right answer is? What is the right answer? Because you remember how everyone's in the room. Yeah, I know. Like, I know. Oh, He's like, sell me this pen. Nice. This pen is durable. This pen writes like. And that one guy, the hustler guy, he's like, he's like, let me see that pen. Yeah, yeah, I know. He's What's like, his right. name? Uh, yeah, the, the guy from uh, Walking Dead. That, yeah, uh, he's like, let me see your pen. He's like, write your name down on the paper. I can't. You have my pen. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it has to do with, with thinking about things in the right context and that's seeing the bigger picture. It, it's it's not the immediate sale of the pen. It's how the pen fits into your life. And and people that can think that way can probably achieve more than people who can just sell you the pen. Mm. Like it's, 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 it's like a mental exercise to think beyond the pen. It's a mental exercise to think beyond the pen because, again, you, you need in order for you to, you know, back to competence, in order for you to get really competent on something, you have to see how this particular thing fits into the bigger scheme of things. Because it's all context, man. It's like, now we were just talking this morning about something um, at work. Somebody's like, can I get some material? Like a customer is asking about some material specs for some kind of lining. I think they wanted like plastic lining on the inside of the tube, right? And I'm like, well, I can I can probably send you that document, but the question is, what are they trying to achieve? Like, what the fuck's the point here? Number one. Number two is, and because she was like, you know, they want to see it to see what it's made out of. And I'm like, well, you know, are they a material scientist? How are they going to interpret what it's made out of in context of what it is that they're trying to achieve in a, in a greater thing. So, you know, you have to be able to kind of think beyond the immediate question to see how it relates to all the other things around it. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I went on a sales meeting today um, with somebody from the company I'm at and <clears throat> he was pointing out all these things at the sales meeting too, that like, I was just kind of watching him work and, you know, like the, the things he was observing. And, you know, we walked in this, like, we walked into this place that needed a couple cameras. They wanted them at the front door. It was like a cancer center. They wanted mm-hmm. some cameras pointed at the front door, a camera in the waiting room. And then mm-hmm. they wanted to upgrade the can- the cameras in like the, the actual treatment room mm-hmm. where, because they can't be in the room while chemo is going on. Mm-hmm. Or while the uh, machine's going, but then you yep. have to watch the patient. So they want to upgrade all this stuff. And, you know, I'm just, I'm looking at all the things. I'm thinking of all the parts and, you know, the upgrading and stuff. And uh, my friend who was actually with me today, he was analyzing everything and he was just taking notes. And when we got back in the truck, he goes, All right, first thing I do, he goes, I could use car salesmen the shit out of this. And I could, you know, offer to replace everything in there and try to make as much profit and sell them as much shit as I want. 
Mm-hmm. Or I can write down, and he showed me his notes, the issues they're having and where they're actually looking to go. Yep. And just give them everything they need to hit this to get here. Yep. And he goes, and that's what I'm going to do. He's like, I'm going to offer these people exactly what they need. I'm not going to run new wire unless I absolutely have to. I'm going to use the existing wire, yep. which is going to save them a lot of money and, you know, and make me more efficient. And, and like, just the way he explained it was obviously I wasn't there to think like, like I'm going to like sales the shit out of them and make every dollar and squeeze every penny like a used car salesman. Mm-hmm. But it was really respectable how he was like, you know, what he wrote down exactly like what you said with your customer like what's the point like what are you guys yeah. looking for he just wrote that down basically out of all the notes yeah and it was like they just want this or this and that's what i'm going to give them and i'm going to build them a quote based off of that and that only yeah absolutely that, that's part of the integrity value in my opinion that's how you build trust because you're playing the long-term game it's like you don't you don't try to make the most dollars on the first sale you want to you want to make the money on customer lifetime value because there's there's value beyond the immediate because you can probably have that sale and you know have a big check and sell them all the shit they don't don't need or he can basically show them that they don't need to spend that much that he can make it for cheaper and get them exactly what they're looking for but next time they're going to need something he's the only guy they're going to come to and anybody else that asks him about camera systems, he's the only guy they're coming to. Like, that's the fucking long game, dude. Yeah. And I think that's the most admirable. And, you know, that's how I built my business. Um, yep. Was just, you know, just honestly, just honesty. Yeah. I, was, I yeah. wasn't necessarily a yes man. And I wasn't like a high pressure upseller. And I wasn't selling anything I didn't really the people didn't really need i just kind of you know yeah i'm I'm telling you i'm telling you after like analyzing the shit for years it comes down to three things it's competence integrity and curiosity Mm. it's like that's all you fucking need to run a successful life not just the business competence integrity integrity and curiosity and curiosity well look I'm uh, running out of battery again, and this is sounds good. This is the longest one I've had yet, but um, I'm willing to do this anytime, man. And I, I honestly think there's a lot to grab out of these ones, which is why I'm like kind of excited that they're longer. But I think there there's more value in these uh these past two recordings with you, and I appreciate your time. Yeah, man, it's been awesome. Appreciate um, it. You ask you ask great questions. Oh, yeah, I'm trying, man. That's <laughs> I'm trying to pick your brain and get better at it. But no, it's good. It's good. Thanks. It's all on the question. Thanks for your time, David, and uh, look forward to doing this again, bro. Absolutely. See you on the mask. You too. All right. Laters.